Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello, and welcome to Pubs, Pints, People, the camera podcast. I am Matt Bundy, and as usual, I'm joined by Ant Fiorillo. And also, once again, we have the wonderful Claire Phillips joining us today. Hello, both. Hello. 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 Well, I'll tell you what, Claire, we're going to be seeing, or rather hearing, sorry, uh, much more from you going forward, aren't we? And after your, after your stunning debut, controversial but stunning <laughs> debut, a couple of podcasts ago, you're going to be joining us regularly, and, uh, and particularly after when Katie goes off on her maternity leave. So it's great to have you join us, and I'm glad you haven't been scared off by the cider crowd. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to see if I can make Twitter explode this week. <laughs> but no, obviously learning and, and chatting about new things is what camera and the podcast is, is all about. So I'm delighted to be here. Definitely. I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Claire, and it's lovely to have you back on the show and to have you as a bit of a more permanent fixture. Now, sadly, listeners, as we speak to you today, we find ourselves back in lockdown. Boris usurped our last episode with his announcement by just 24 hours. Uh, But we are glad to see that the government did listen to camera campaigners and have lifted those awful restrictions, preventing pubs and breweries from selling takeaway alcohol. What a farce that was. Yeah, I mean, we were all shocked when the new lockdown restrictions in England were announced, weren't we? And I'm beginning to worry, guys, that we might be a bit of a jinx on the industry <laughs> because listeners might not know this, but that was actually the third time we tried to record an episode on it the is. benefits of going to the pub. <laughs> and on the previous times as well, it was just before there was a major announcement of some kind of restrictions on the industry. So I wonder whether maybe we should just stop recording them at all and everything will be all right. That's it. We're the answer. There we are. Hooray. Um, I mean, the main thing is we hope they won't extend the restrictions much more than the allotted month, of course, because let's be honest, we need our pubs open and thriving in time for Christmas, don't we? Oh, I can't even begin to express how upset and disappointed I know that I and and fellow beer drinkers will be if that's not the case. I know I said it in the last episode as well, but Christmas Day for me is all about nipping to the pub late morning over that lunch hour before you go back and tuck into something delicious. And I just think it wouldn't be the same day without going to see your friends, your neighbours, the community, all having a nice beer in the pub. 
While we're in lockdown too, don't forget to check in with your local to see if they're providing a takeaway or perhaps there's a brewer doing a delivery near you. And if you've got an active Facebook page for your local camera branch, they might be listing some of the pubs and breweries that are doing this. I know that's the case in my area. And there are plenty of breweries also doing national delivery if you want to branch out. So you could perhaps start with our own Brew to You, which you can find on the website, brewtoyou.co.uk. The two is a number. Or of course, you can download the app that's right and i've already got the brew to you and I, I actually had a change of phones this week now that's a completely different story but it was one of the first apps i made sure i put back on my phone and it still works hooray uh, so it is available on all platforms folks so do make sure you download that and while you're at it please also check out camera.org.uk forward slash save our pubs or one word to keep up to date with our campaign to support the pubs and help us to keep the pressure on to provide more support for our struggling industry at this moment in time And talking of saving pubs, I don't know if you've been watching Saving Britain's Pubs with Tom Kerridge on BBC Two on Thursday evenings, but if you haven't, it's really worth a a watch. Filmed just before lockdown started and uh, saw the first episode. Really interesting. I'll certainly be watching that. It's good. He's a friend of camera, isn't he? Uh, All around around good chap. So I will definitely be checking that out too. Now, I tell you what, I bet you're wondering, listeners, what we've got up for our sleeves for you this week. You know, which part of the industry are we jinxing this week? Well, (laughs) um, buckle up and get ready for some great conversations on the science of beer. There's been enough science news this week with vaccination news and everything like that. This is the science of beer. And as I said last time, you won't need any Bunsen burners for this one. (laughs) Instead, uh, which is a shame because I've been looking for an excuse to get mine out. (laughs) Put on the goggles, get on the conical flask. But uh, Instead, we've got a chat with Amy Boo from family brewer J.W. Lease and Luke Raven from Ilkley Brewery. Well, sadly, I was thrown out of chemistry at school. But first up, we're going to hear from Adam Taylor, who interviewed Amy, who's a lab technician at J.W. Lees, and will tell us all about the science behind the different elements in beer. So a quick quiz for you two. No pressure, guys. Oh, gosh, here we go. (laughs) What are the four main elements of beer? Oh, oh, well, there we are then. Oh, Shall I do two and you mm, do two, Matt? <laughs> magic. Yeah, magic. Good glass. Nectar, angel dust. Yeah. Oh, in the beer itself, angel dust. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, go, no, go ahead, that you do one. Well, it's malt and hops. I can't believe you stole malt after my GBBF <laughs> talk, all about malt. That's my speciality thing. All right, well, I'll take water and yeast. Well, there we are. Oh, well, I'll have to set a harder question next time. I I did know that you'd probably know that. So let's dig a little further with Amy now and over to Adam. Hi, Amy. Thank you for joining us. So your role at JW Lees is lab technician. Very intrigued by what this involves. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what you do day to day? A lot of what I do day to day is just testing the beer at um, the different stages throughout the process. So at the beginning of the fermentation, then at the end and before we package it and the keg in. And mainly we're just checking the ABV. So we're in the range that legally we're allowed to be in and what we know the customers want from that drink. Then the colour, the gas levels in that, so whether it's a fizzy lager or more of an ale so less fizzy making sure they're what we want and the the brew process is going along nicely then there is the other side which is more the microbiology side so checking we haven't got any wild yeasts or bacteria growing in our beer because these will obviously cause the beer to taste off and then the final bit that I help the brewers with is keeping an eye on the yeast 
making sure it's nice and healthy and able to do its job and again checking there's no um, contaminants in the yeast that's going to affect the process. So can you tell us a little bit more about yeast? Obviously, most people will know it's a very important uh, aspect of the brewing process, but I'm guessing some of the listeners might not know exactly why the yeast is so important. The yeast is key to the fermentation, so that's what turns the sugars from the wort into alcohol. The most important thing is checking its viability, but just how alive the cells are, how well they're going to do at the fermentation process. So that's something I check with the brewers to make sure it's healthy and it's going to do the job it does. A lot of people don't realise that yeast can add flavour. We just think it comes from the hops used or um, the malt that we choose but the yeast does add some flavor and it can bring out some of the flavors from the hops so it might or the malt so it might bring out the maltiness the biscuit flavors of the malt even more and then you have different strains of yeast for different types of beers so there's not only just lagers and ales use different ones but within that there's so many different strains that you can use and these have to be chosen for the beer that you want to make as well so you're not only considering the hops and malt you want for the beer you have to think about the right yeast as well we've got a very good yeast we've been using it for a long long time and it's a living thing so you keep it alive you use it again and again just this week we've done 5078th generations we've used it which i think is quite impressive what is the regeneration process of of regenerating the yeast the yeast cells multiply and new ones replace old ones and um, during the brewing process you actually end up with more yeast than when you started with and you can use it again and again and this process is called repropagation so you can basically move it from one brew straight into the next one or store it for I think it's just over a week that you can store it for. As long as it gets the nutrients it wants from that brewing process, you can just keep going. So with your day-to-day beers at JD Release, do you have a specific taste you require from the yeast? Like I said, we have um, different yeast for the ales and lagers. Um, so the ale really defines the beer that we've drunk with been using it for 50 years so we definitely want in our bitters um, that we make um, for that malty biscuitiness to come through in the past we have tried to use it when we've like been trying different recipes for different beers um, trying to use our yeast then but it definitely just has such a distinct flavor that a lot of the things we were making just tasted like things we'd made before because um, it has such a powerful specific flavour notes and we were just like can't really use this because it just takes over. What kind of measures do you have to put in place to make sure the beer tastes exactly like you want it to every time? Yes yeah, so we have obviously like specifications that we use for each beer um, whether that's what malt we use, how much hop we use, the brewing temperatures and times but what's also important is just the hygiene of the brewery and keeping everything clean because if it's not cleaned properly and you get bacteria in it 
what's quite good with beer, those bacteria aren't really harmful to us people, but they do really affect the flavour. Um, so we just have to make sure we're doing the brew um, the same way, following those specifications. And my job is obviously keeping an eye on that and making sure it's going um, as it should be. Every Monday morning at 9 o'clock, we taste the beers that we packaged the week before. So sometimes it's a bit early in the week to do that. But we taste them all before they go out to make sure they're the best quality and that we want to put out. Can you talk to us a little bit about hops and the kind of chemical makeup of them and why it's important in the beers? Obviously, we add hops for aroma and flavour, but they also have some other benefits. So they actually inhibit bacteria growth and they help prolong beer shelf life. So I think we sometimes forget about that and just think they're there for the aroma and flavour. There's normally bittering hops or aroma hops. And the bittering hops, um, there's something in them called alpha acids, and those are the things we want... um, to get out during the boiling process. So in the boiling process, there's a reaction that goes place and that's what creates the bitter flavour that you get in beer. The hops you use for those properties in a beer will have a higher alpha acid content and you'll use them in the boil and that'd be for about 60 minutes, that process, and that allows the time for all those flavours to come out. But then the aroma hops... Um, the goal is to extract the beta acids and the essential oils, um, which are a bit more volatile. So you don't want to boil them all off and you lose all the properties from that hop. So you have to be a bit smarter with how you use them. So you might um, put them in at the end of the boil or um, just for about 5, 10, 15 minutes. That really helps extract those oils. So you have to not only think about what hops you want to use but also in the process you're going to use them in a way the most important element of beer is uh, water can you tell us if you treat your water and um, what kind of water is best for brewing so it's the minerals in the water that make can really affect beer flavor so obviously you probably we know there's like hard and soft water and hard water just means there's more minerals in there Different areas have different water and that might affect what beer they make. So, for example, Dublin um, obviously produces Guinness, it produces stouts, um, and that their water has um, quite high levels of calcium and a bit more chloride in it. So that's what makes a good stout. Us personally, we don't do too much to our water. We focus mainly on, you know, ales and our water's pretty good for that so that it's um the lake district water so we're getting a good source so we're happy with what it does to our beer so historically the cities what beer they made would definitely depend on their water but nowadays you can treat your water so you can remove all the minerals out of it and then kind of add them back in, um, in essence. So, yeah, it's definitely more important than we, you'd first think when you look at it. And finally, because uh, we've, we've covered uh, three of the four uh, main ingredients of beer, so I guess we, we need to touch <laughs> on uh, malt briefly. 
So yeah, malted barley is obviously um, the source of the sugars um, that then fermented by the yeast to turn into the alcohol. There's a lot of enzymes that go on in the process. Um, so enzymes are these biological catalysts. So there's one enzyme that produces the fermentable sugars, such as maltose, and those are then what's turned into alcohol. Um, then there's another enzyme called protease, and this breaks down the proteins in the grains to amino acids, and these amino acids are what yeast use to build new yeast cells. Um, so that's the kind of science behind the malt and what's going on in this um, mashing and fermentation phase. So I guess everything is reliant on everything else in a way. I think that's what drew me to beer most. You have these four ingredients and yes, you have to choose what malt, what hops you use. But even if you start with the same ingredients or the same makeup, it's kind of how you use them and the process. Um, So whether it's the brew time, the temperatures, like I said, what stage you add the hops and for how long. And if you change those things, you can end up with such a different final product, so a different beer, even if you're starting with the same um, starting materials. So I think that's what's really interesting about beer, the endless possibilities for using all these different ingredients and how you make it. So you say that's what interested you, and that do you come from a kind of uh, sciencey background? Yeah, so I did chemistry at university, um, so that's definitely helped in being in the lab environment and doing the tests on the beer and knowing these things about like enzymes and stuff. So how did you make that leap from being in university to the uh, brewing industry? I didn't have too much experience and JWLEs were good and that when I applied for this they were willing to kind of build someone up and give someone that experience so yeah I just got used to doing the lab and um, slowly just going from like analysing the beer that they the brewers were making to slowly getting more involved in the kind of brewing process and helping them and aiding them in the decisions they make and the beer that we sell. All the hops that are used are female and the plant is female um, so I think without females we would have no beer. And here I was thinking you could just pick each of the four ingredients and throw it into the boil. Well, I am joking, of course, but it's amazing to hear just how intricate the brewing process can be. And I love the fact that they test the beer early on a Monday morning. What a great way to start the week. Yeah, there really is so much to it, isn't there? Even considering hops, you have to really know what you're doing with each type of hops to get the best flavour out of them. And I have to say, fascinating though it is, this this whole process of the 50-year-old yeast <laughs> regenerating over 500 times, yeah. I mean, that really is amazing, and it's what makes beer a living product. It is. Well, I tell you, I'm intrigued by how much water impacts on the beer. I mean, we should really be a given. I should remind it with the amount of the beer that is made up of water, isn't it? And yeah. I remember a few, many, many podcasts ago, I got all into the ecological benefits of how you can make use less water to make more beer and, and make sure there's less wastage. But the taste I've never really thought about before, strangely. But I guess it makes sense, doesn't it? When you travel in the country, sometimes you're kind of surprised 
and in some cases is a bit disgusted about how different water tastes you know where when you when you're away from home i remember when i go up to cumbria i see my parents it's always so beautiful and clean and fresh and it, um it's really different so i did think though that that taste would be overridden by all of the other strong flavors that go into beer but i am wrong it is all wonderfully scientific and I'd be curious to see if we could set off some sort of experiment where you could get different brewers to work with the exact same recipe and ingredients with the only difference being the local water just to see if it could have an impact. That would be really interesting yeah. to see. I, I know talking to a brewer some years ago, they switched where their brewery building was ever, ever so slightly, but they never told anyone when they stopped brewing in the old building, when they started brewing in the new building, so that people couldn't say, oh, well, it tastes different now, it's brewed in the in the new building. But you could also get breweries to take the exact same ingredients and play with their techniques. As, as Amy's just said, the possibilities are endless. Totally. So it sounds like a great challenge. We should set this to all the all the brewers and beer makers that, that listen to us. I wonder if anybody listening would be up for it. And if so, would they be happy for us to taste the final results? Uh, you know, yeah. we'd, we'd, we'd happily volunteer for that. <laughs> yeah. Get in touch on the old Twitter handle, at Pubs Pints People. Uh, and I just want to say huge thanks to Sean O'Mahony for all his work helping us get that feed off the ground. He's been such a huge help, and it's wonderful to see all the interaction on Twitter. Oh, good old Shawnee. Uh, you know, I, him and I, uh, you know, we, we've got connections now after the VGBBF you know but don't forget we are looking for more volunteers in season two especially if you've got a knack for script writing the lovely Rebecca Fennelly uh, who does a lot of spiral writing for us at the minute has planned her baby perfectly with Katie's that's not officially I think it's just coincidental but we are going to be losing them both at the same time as they go off to have their wonderful children and go on to maternity leave so the more hands on deck the better if you're a writer get in touch are you telling me there's meant to be a script? <laughs> so, well, I, they do provide us one, Matt, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that my jokes would do much better if, that, if, <laughs> if I had been aware of that. I'm only joking. Come on, come on, write for us. It'd be great. It's, it's really good fun. Come on board. And before the next interview now, we've got a double whammy for you from Sue this week because not only have we got a recipe, but she's also created some cooking with beer tips to guide and help us understand the science of cooking with beer a bit more. Mm. Wowzers, this sounds fantastic. Well, I'll tell you, well, let's start with the recipe. Uh, oh, hang on. It seems we've been cheated a bit. Oh. Um, we'll get some food from this, but it appears we're receiving a bit of a Blue Peter-style meal this time uh, in what Sue's calling a Here's What We Made Earlier Ready Mix. Oh, oh, yes, it seems this week's recipe has been inspired by her break before lockdown and great story of beer discovery before pubs had to shut their doors last week. So definitely make sure you take a read of this one. And, of course, Sue, as always, has recommended a product that you can apparently get at an Oxfam store. Now, I never knew this. No, it's a beer bread making mix and I've not heard of that either. Although actually I did used to quite regularly make some fairly simple beer breads, um, but I'm sure they'd be much enhanced with a mix like this. Now, obviously with lockdown, we might have to wait a while to get hold of it. But Sue recommends that you can pick up your favourite flavour on offer and mix it with just 300 mils of a beer of your choice and then just bake it. Couldn't be easier. She used the chilli and garlic mix and she used Dartmoor Brewery's Legend. Sounds absolutely wonderful. So I shall be definitely off to Oxfam to get some. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm right behind you, Claire, on that one. And if you can't wait for the Oxfam shop to open, then Sue has listed a recipe for a soda bread, which has been made with beer on What's Brewing already. So you can use that. Lovely. 
as we said, it's a double whammy, and she's also given us her eight cooking with beer tips. I'm sure it'll come in handy, you know, for us trying to master cooking with beer, which I now certainly am going to be doing. Now, we won't read them all out because they're in the show notes and they're on, <laughs> and they are on Twitter, but a nice taster of sorts for you is how you can use beer neat or without cooking it off. Mm. So if you wanted a change to your salad, for example, if you're having a salad on one of these cold winter evenings, you can add beer straight into the salad dressing. Or perhaps if you're having a dessert, you could add a fruity beer into a jelly for a fancy fizzy flavour, which sounds absolutely lovely. <laughs> I can't help but imagine Sue sat there cooking in the kitchen with a bottle of beer, just going, one for me, one for the bowl. <laughs> beer in a salad dressing, that is a new one on me. But do you know what? We're sharing them on the Twitter feed, as Matt said, to keep an eye out. And as usual, don't forget to share if you've given them a try yourself. Now, for our next interview, we're going to look into the more experimental side of brewing. I like the sound of this. Mm. Experimental guy. So, And it's with Luke Raven at Ilkley Brewery, and it's interviewed by our own Katie Wiles. So my name is Luke Raven. I'm one of the owners of Ilkley Brewery. Ilkley's a, a small town on the edge of the Yorkshire Dales, just outside Leeds. We've been making beer for about 10 years now, just over 10 years. What's your range look like? Do you do lots of experimental brews? Over the years, we've done over 200 different beers. We do have a kind of core range. Cask is very much um, central to what we produce. And 50% of everything that we brew is a beer called Mary Jane. She's very much our our flagship and our kind of leading lady. And she's just a 3.5% session pale. I heard about Mary Jane and it's hot with Amarillo, I believe. What challenges were there to creating that beer? The creating is never so much a challenge, I don't think, in terms of combining a recipe and so on. I think the challenges always tend to come a little bit later in terms of scaling up, keeping consistency. Mm. In Mary Jane's case, one of the biggest challenges kind of uh, that we face all the time, I suppose now, is that Amarillo's grown on a single license by a single farmer. So the supply is very tightly controlled and the price goes up an awful lot. So that's a challenge constantly to make sure that we can get enough of it. I think we're one of the largest contractors of of Amarillo. I suppose the other thing, brewing a beer at 3.5% and getting as much flavour as we do out of Mary Jane is always the challenge we set ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's something that I think Ilkley Brewery has always kind of built its name on is brewing lower ABV beers, but at higher tastes and flavour profiles. So you think you get a lot more big taste in the bowl flavours, the higher ABV you go, is that right? We try to kind of balance that and go the other way as well by getting brewing stronger beers that don't taste as strong, that still taste sessionable. And that's where the, the skill and, and some of the fun in the challenges is getting beers that people can just drink really easily, not really based on ABV, you know, based on just purely this tastes really nice. What do you think the science of beer really comes down to? Is it the ingredients you use or the method that you put it together? No, I think that uh, you brew the same recipe on two different bits of kit um, and you get a different beer. You brew the same recipe with two different people or you give the same ingredients to two different brewers, you're going to get um, very different beers. We've always been the first to admit that at the start of our journey back in 2009, it was very much experimental. There was no real depth of knowledge in the, in the team here you know we'd gone on a short brew course and kind of went at it and a lot of the beers um, didn't work out a lot of the beers weren't as good as they could have been any mistakes we made you know we probably didn't really know exactly the ins and outs it was all a question of trial and error and learning and trusting palate and that was very important Mary Jane was actually brewed right at the beginning and worked very well we won a Seba gold medal national medal in the first year of brewing The importance of that was that it told us that the process was right. And what we've tried to do throughout the the business is that that DNA of that brew 
goes through everything else we brew, whether it's a stout or a, or a bitter or any other type of IPA, any other type of beer. That's our process for how we make the beer. And mm, sounds like a bit like of mad science, really. <laughs> so. oh, oh, yeah. I mean, it, it is and it isn't. You know, the, obviously, there's everything's kind of built on that kind of scientific base in terms of a, of a business and consistency. You have to have that attention to detail. But I think brewing is one of the most approachable things ever, you know, and I think it's something that everybody cooks and brewing is, is combining ingredients. And, you know, if you do things in a different way, one of the kind of analogies I always kind of use when I'm talking about brewing is mine and my wife's spaghetti bolognese. We both have this access to the same ingredients in the same cupboard and we both like spaghetti bolognese, but hers is way better than mine. Now, I kind of put that down to the fact that when I cook, I tend to be normally in a bit more of a rush. I'm perhaps hungrier. I kind of tend to throw the ingredients together. It's a bit more functional for me. Yeah. Whereas my, my wife spends a bit more time and energy. She puts a bit more love into it. And you, and you can taste it. You know, if you combine all the ingredients from a beer... In a, you just put them all in together, it's not going to taste very nice. If you put them in at the right time and change things and let things kind of develop um, as, as they should and combine different flavour profiles at, at different times, you're going to get a much more complex and product in, in a beer that, that you're going to get much, so much more out of, so much more complex and, and enjoyable, ultimately. You mentioned that when you first started out, not all the beers turned out how you wanted them to. Can you tell us a bit what it maybe was the biggest flop or the strangest beer you might have created by accident? So we've always been pretty lucky in that we've, we've never had any major problems with, you know, anything that was completely undrinkable. But one of the I mean, one that does stick in my mind was I was looking after the, the kind of sales and marketing and the, the brewer said to me, he's like, oh, we're brewing um, a, a porter. We're going to brew a dark beer. And I was like, OK, fantastic. And we you know, worked out what, what it was going to be called and everything. And uh, he called me over the weekend and said, yeah, I've not put enough dark malt in this. It's going to be a brown ale now. We're, we're, we're racking it on Monday. You've got to start selling it. Go. You know, the beer tasted great. And we ended up brewing a number of batches of that recipe beer. We did then go on to brew the porter, as he'd imagined. And, and that beer is still being brewed today. I understand you have a really good relationship with your hop merchants and you work quite closely with them to create experimental hops that you can use for different beers. Can you tell us a bit about that? I think everyone in the brewing industry is very close, not just in this country, but all over. And so we do have a good relationship with all our suppliers, particularly the, yeah, our hop merchants who have been very supportive over the years. We use about 40 different varieties of hops, so all over the world. But every year we go down to do the hop walk. This year, things are obviously a bit different, but every year we would normally go down to see our hop merchants on one of their hop growers' farms and have talks, meet people and have a look at that year's hops because there are more and more interesting UK hops being grown. We don't have the same climate as America and Australia and New Zealand and therefore the hops are going to have slightly different profiles. But we've been really pleasantly surprised over the last few years in particular at the development of hops coming out of the UK. And a few years ago now, we took part in a programme with Charles Faramar, our hop suppliers, to run trials of their experimental hops. And these were effectively hop uh, strains that had been decided back in the day, you know, 100 years ago or so, that they didn't match UK beer um, hop profiles. The, The beer drinkers of the 1920s didn't want hoppy IPAs and pale ales. And so hops were, were grown much more like Fuggle and, and they're kind of more approachable and, you know, just with a different, very different profile. And so fortunately, these hops weren't just discarded. Uh, the strains were kept. And so there's been a programme to kind of reintroduce them and see if the UK can grow hops of this of this style. And so we got a hop. It was just a number and brewed with it. And other breweries got other hops and we all brewed a single hop pale ale to kind of see what the characteristics. And the one that we got was just 
so full of grapefruit and really strong citrus characteristics, very, very American in style, we thought. Mm. And Charles Brown were really pleased with, with it and said, OK, we're going to put it into full-scale growth. We're going to plant it and uh, you get to name it. So we named it Olicana, which is the Roman name of Ilkley, of the fort that was here. And it's just so lovely. I mean, we still brew with it, and but it's really nice seeing other Olicana beers out there, knowing that that's something that, that we were part of. I guess everything at the moment is like hoppy beer and that's the big thing at the moment. Do you think that's going to continue for a long time or do you think another style is going to start coming to the forefront in the next you know, five to ten years? I think you're right that things come in cycles and I think more and more perhaps cycles may be a bit quicker um, and there is very much more general awareness of different things and which is fantastic and so people are looking for variety it it used to be that all drink categories were dominated by people's brand loyalty but now what we see is people go up to a a bar and they say what have you got and it's probably more true in the beer world than with other drinks for sure most people will kind of have a staple beer that they'll kind of go back to or that they trust so and so i think there will always be i think ever quickening cycles of of what's popular and so on and what gets out there but i do think that i suppose i speak from personal experience here really in terms of the the evolution of everyone's palate that our tastes change all the time they change because of mood they change because of the weather um they change because of our activity that we're doing you know if i've gone for a long walk in the country i want a pint of uh, Timmy Taylor's Landlord. If, I've, mm. if I'm going out on a Friday night, I might want, you know, uh, a hoppy IPA. So, uh, but I think that the more we're exposed generally to bigger, stronger flavours, the harder it is for our taste buds to get fulfilment ultimately from things that have softer or more, comp- you know, subtle mm. taste profiles. So, you know, if you've just spent a year drinking IPAs and then you start drinking a mild you know, your taste buds aren't going to wake up to it. The mild might be the best example of a mild ever produced, but your taste buds will have evolved to be really looking out for that big bitter hit. And so I think that'll be a challenge for other styles to come and dominate in the same way that that the hoppy pale ales and PAs are are really dominating at the moment. And finally, I just want to ask, as you mentioned that cask forms part of your core range, how do you find brewing with cask versus keg? And do you find one style a bit more restrictive or easier to experiment with? Well, yeah, I'm 100% happy using both. I mean, my my philosophy is very much that different people like different things and they like different textures and profiles and and also that they you know they they might drink in different ways whether it's at home or whether it's in a a restaurant or a country pub and so the beer is made but you know with the same ingredients by the same team who are passionate about beer and getting that beer into people's hands is for me the most important thing yeah and i and i I feel like most people are kind of past the kind of versus debate i don't think Mm. that anything in beer should be about versus it should be an and or you know if you don't like it that's fine there's something else you can like you know but cask's always been such a massive part of, of, of what we do our, our brewing kit is really kind of geared up to make cask beer and, and it's something that we pride ourselves on it'll always be a core part of what we do keg you know obviously allows you to to sell to different outlets um, i think the way the market is it perhaps allows you to experiment a little bit more certainly the way our if you look at our customers it's, it's a little bit easier to make you know to, to make something stronger or hoppier and, and sell it into our keg customers um that you know you're not going to have good rate you know large rates of sale on a on a seven percent cask beer for example so it does give you a little bit more flexibility in that sense but then again yeah because the, most of our customers are primarily cask customers you know that's is really where our focus is and mm. what will be interesting i think going through the the pandemic this year is that inevitably our reliance on cask has dropped down because we had a big period of the year where the pubs weren't at all 
Um, I mean, that really hit us hard. We had 800 Birkins of beer in our warehouse on March 16th when everyone was told not to go to the pubs. So, you know, that was <laughs> that, that's a big problem. And, and so we've, we, we've built up in a much more reliance on our package, our package side and our, our bottles and cans. Kind of coming through this, whenever, whenever that may be, cask is going to remain a key thing for us. And I think that coming out of this, that, that one of the, the kind of take-homes from drink because everyone's drinking patterns will will have changed ultimately and people will drink from home more than they did before even when they can go out again properly but i think people the value of a, a proper pint in a pub is something that people can't replicate properly you know really at home and i think i think that's going to give a real boost to to the cask industry um, and those those of us that are still you know championing that are going to come through this and hopefully connect with people that, that little bit more than we perhaps did before Isn't brewing just amazing? And it's right in that it's so accessible, just like cooking, but there sure is a difference between functional and passionate brewing. I I, I think the Bolognese example was great on that one. And the challenges that they faced regarding the scaling up is interesting, especially when they're using such a scarce product in the grand scheme of supply. It sort of was a bit of economic science there. Definitely. We're doing all the sciences this week. That's a promise. I mean, it, it is, though, a, a problem, isn't it, for a smaller brewery to who want to tap into the really scarce supply chains more, you know, especially when they've only got a really small batch to start with. But it's perfect and they want to get into yeah. it. So they've got to solve it. That's it. And I did also like how easy it can be for a mistake to end in an equally great beer. I think in this case, forgetting an ingredient, not, not that they had much choice, but to run with it. So thankfully, it did work out well. Yeah, I mean, it was also interesting how Luke added more elements to increase the potential variation, you know, of the beer he was making. And Amy was saying how, how earlier, how small things like ingredient changes, water flavour and process change flavour. But you can even have changes just from different equipment or a different brewer, you know, because it's the personal element as well, isn't it? It's the human element of beer as well as the, uh, the science that gives the variation. And it's actually quite impressive when you think about all that potential variation out, out there, how breweries have managed to keep flavours so consistent, especially on a large scale. And if you want to learn a bit more about brewing during lockdown, by the way, there's some great tastings coming up with the legendary Roger Protz, who's going to be talking through some of the brews featured in his book, The Family Brewers of Britain. Oh, yes, we love a bit of Roger on the show and he's got a great beer box lineup for you. And the first session is on the 27th of November. It's already sold out, so I'm telling it you, but if you've not got a ticket, no chance. But there are some more on the 4th and the 11th of December. So make sure you grab your tickets for an evening with Roger Protz. Just visit camera.org.uk forward slash online tastings with camera you can go straight to the homepage of the camera site and it'll take you from there that'd probably be easier mate I mean yeah it's, <laughs> it's, it's, we love a long web address uh, giving the people, people jotting them down as they're listening to the, uh, to the podcast but well I'll tell you what it's time for us to change gear a bit and indeed decade now as we take our usual dive into the archive mm. and we've heard quite a bit about ingredients used today so let's have a look at a report back in April 1978 about phony ingredients posing a threat to decent beer mm, that sounds a bit dramatic so they're looking at <laughs> At the bitter truth, which is at half the love number that, of hops. Love that, love that, love that, bitter truth. <laughs> Absolutely. Half the number of hops goes into the pint those in those days compared to 20 years previously, so the late 1950s, with an 8% increase in hops as extract form rather than simply as unprocessed hops. 
I mean, I can't even imagine that's the case today with the explosion in hoppy beers. I know, and they also saw malted barley substituted and with things like rice, grits and flaked maize replacing 10% of traditional malt. So drinkers and brewers claim that this has changed the flavour profile of beers drastically, mm. having a detrimental effect. Now, interestingly, though, in this article, it also mentions how Scottish and Newcastle and Guinness have four Old Etonians on their boards, as well as an Earl, a Peer, a Viscount, a Viscountess, a Marchioness, and a former chair of the right-wing Monday Club, all on the board of Guinness. I mean, talk about name-dropping. <laughs> but the article doesn't explicitly say why they've chosen to mention these facts, but I'm sure we can all come to our own conclusions on the matter. <laughs> Yeah, it's a very different set of ingredients there in the making of the beer. I mean, but it's, that's quite a list of credentials. I mean, I think, just thinking about it, I'd love to be a Viscount. What do you think, guys? I thought maybe the combination of a biscuit and nobleman would be the perfect <laughs> combination to my set of skills. Does it suit me? I haven't oh. had a Viscount in ages. <laughs> yeah, I think Viscount does suit you, and uh, I quite fancy being a baroness, actually, Ooh. but I'm not sure there's many titles or knighthoods or anything coming our way just yet. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, quite, it's quite a thing to, to aim for. Our services to the podcast industry should be recognised, but I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to keep trying. But I think the article, going back to this article it is spot on that back in the day we did see brewers try and stick some little subpar ingredients into the beer cut the corners um, but i think you know we're all in agreement we're very lucky not to have much of that today because breweries are much more connected to the beer and make sure they get it at its very best Absolutely. The the whole craft beer movement is yeah. about celebrating an artisan product that includes the very best. And I, I think brewers today really pride themselves on the love, care and attention that goes into their products and, and ultimately their creations. Oh, yeah. Well, I tell you what, I think we can all cheers to that. And on that note, it's time for Last Orders. Ooh, what have you two been drinking this week? Well, OK, I've got two to share this week because I just couldn't decide. Um, and, and Claire, you'll both know, I sent over a picture the other night, didn't I, of something I was drinking and made Katie while I was very, very upset and jealous because um, it was from the Garden Brewery over in Croatia and it was uh, Imperial Flat White Coffee Porter, 8.7%. Ooh-hoo! It was absolutely mm. gorgeous and it was dead set to be the beer of the week but then I went round to see my friend Tony, my mate Tony, I went to see Tony just before that Thursday lockdown came in across the nation, and we had a we had a, another beer just to to sort of say adieu for a for a month. Unfortunately, not that we can't see each other walking outside, of course, but we enjoyed from Keltner Brewery Masquerade. It's their red ale, and it's absolutely delicious. And so for me, I thought, well, I can't not do the Masquerade because it it was with Tony, but the Garden Brewery one as well was just phenomenal. They both sound lovely, actually. Yeah. Well, I'd like to give a shout-out to Harridgetown Brewing Company, who were actually given a local camera lockdown award in the last lockdown. They were a lockdown hero because of the local deliveries they were doing, um, not just of their own beers, but also with guests. And so with that in mind, uh, we've had from them this week one of their guest beers, Humpty Dumpty Brewery from Norfolk. Brilliant. Uh, they're, they're Little Sharpie. It's a 3.8 golden session beer. It's won numerous camera awards. I think it was even a, a runner-up or a bronze award in um, the Champion Beer of Britain a, a few years back. And just a lovely, refreshing beer. And, and well done on the breweries for getting out there and, and getting the deliveries during lockdown. 
That sounds wonderful, Claire. Matt, what about you? Well, I tell you what, I've got a sad tale this week. Oh, I'm no. afraid, you know. So, as you know, I've been trying to get back in with the cider crowd. You know, <laughs> naming, no help, no help from me. <laughs> Naming no names, but, uh, but you know, there's. So, I, I got out a, a Nightingale Cider Company Wild Disco, which is actually one of the ones from the the VG yes. BBS. It was it was the last one from my uh, from my box, and you know, we've had the odd day of decent weather, you know, just before the time of recording, and so I thought I'd sit outside after raking the leaves in the garden so i had a little sip it was absolutely delicious put it down on the table walk back inside for more than five minutes i come back outside and some mysterious force has tipped over <gasps> the wild disco no it's completely poured onto oh! the ground only giving me. the treats only <laughs> giving the treats to the worms and the birds you are, no, 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 I, that was my that was my first thought Claire. you know that, in but, the garden. <laughs> I, I looked around i ruled it out but you know there was no there wasn't a gust of wind about maybe it was a rogue branch or leaf who knows <laughs> i don't know what happened but uh, but if anybody from nightingale cider company is listening i'm uh, please send reinforcements send me another one yeah yeah <laughs> could be a case for Mulder and Scully, do you remember that? Now listen, <laughs> don't forget folks to join us on the 1st of December. The 1st of December, come on, we're going up towards the Christmas run, uh, where we're going to be learning all about the running of a micro-pub, sitting down with Katie and Sam from The Vessel and Martin Hillier from The Butcher's Arms in Kent, and hopefully they'll be just getting ready to reopen by then. And now I suggest for my quote to end the podcast this week, uh, we actually, we reiterate Amy's statement from the interview uh, near the start of the show, which is according to the science all hops that we use are female and therefore our quote is without females we would have no beer and that's science people cheers to science cheers Cheers. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How does a free case of beer sound? Yes, you can grab a case for free courtesy of our pals at Beer52 by going to www.beer52.com forward slash people. That's the numbers 52 in the 52 and covering the meagre postage cost of £5.95. And what's more, as a special offer for our listeners, they'll throw in two extra beers for free. So that's 10 unique craft beers. Beer52 is actually the biggest beer club in the world. Each month, they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world, and this month it's an absolute belter. Their great European road trip case takes in the best beers from across the continent. So try a crisp, refreshing Pilsner from Norway's Lervig Brewery and a monster 7.5 double IPA from Sweden's Derges Brewery. On the dark side this month, there's a smooth stout from Copenhagen's Tool. There's also beer from Croatia... Poland, Germany, Serbia and Austria, among others. And if dark beer's not your thing, you can choose the light-only case. Also included is the ever-insightful Ferment magazine and a couple of tasty snacks. And even if, after all that, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. 
So head over to www.beer52, that's the numbers 5 and 2, dot com forward slash people to claim your free case of 10 beers now.